so we've been walking through Hebrews chapter 11. We like to call it the Faith Hall of Fame. So if you have your Bibles, let's start there. It has been one of our anchor texts for this series, Hebrews chapter 11. I'll begin reading at verse number 1, Hebrews 11 and verse 1. If you're there, say amen. If you're not there yet, say oh me. Okay, everybody's there. All right, Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. If you don't have a Bible with you, we should have uh, notes and uh, 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 the text on the screen. You can follow along there. We also encourage you to follow along uh, on your mobile app, uh, version. We have notes available there. I think we have a slide that will show you how to follow along with the notes on version. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. This is the faith hall of fame. The scripture says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony, a good reputation, or a good legacy. Uh, verse 3 says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. I like that. I like that verse because what it teaches us is that our, we can frame our world with our wor- words. Amen. That's good news this morning. We understand that by faith the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. This is where I want us to land and begin our conversation. Is here in verse five. I find it interesting that as he begins to give us examples of of individuals who walked by faith, he begins with a story of generosity. This is the first human example, the first human example of what it looks like to walk by faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And it begins with a story of generosity. Could have been anything. Now, first off, we have to agree that the reason he starts with Cain and Abel probably is because of chronology. In chronological order, there's Adam and Eve, and then they have two sons, Cain and Abel, and later on, Seth. So from pure chronology, it's easy to understand this is why he lists Cain and Abel, because they are among the patriarchs after Adam and Eve. But I find it quite interesting that of all the things that he could have noted about Cain and Abel, What Hebrews chapter 11 highlights is their response to generosity and bringing their best to God. Notice what the scripture says over here in verse number five. And just bear with me. I'm pulling up my notes here on my phone. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse number five. Um, I'm going to read this uh, from the New Living Translation. Actually, I'll read it from the New King James and then from the New Living Translation. It says, by faith, notice what Abel did was by faith. That our generosity and what we bring to God is actually an act of faith and it is an act of worship. So the scripture says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained witness that he was righteous and God testifying of his gifts and through it he being dead still speaks. What does that mean? That means centuries later, what Abel did when he offered those sacrifices to God, it still has significance for our lives today. That means there are lessons in faith 
that we can learn from what Abel and Cain did. As we observe Abel's life, we learn what to do as it relates to generosity. When it comes to Cain's life, we learn what not to do. So these are not obsolete words on a page that happened centuries ago. What we are reading about still has import and significance for each of us today. We can learn valuable lessons of faith from Cain and Abel. Notice how it reads in the New Living Translation. It says, it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God. Notice, what Abel brought was more acceptable than what Cain brought. Are y'all with me? What Abel brought was more acceptable than what Cain brought. And we'll look at Genesis chapter 4 to understand a little bit better why. It says, Abel's offering, what he gave gave evidence that he was a righteous man. Notice this, that his gift revealed something about his person. What he brought to God revealed something about his character. Ooh, y'all missed that. What he gave revealed what was in his heart. Am I making this up or am I reading it from the word? It brought a more acceptable offering, and it gave evidence that he was a righteous man. What he gave revealed something of his character. And God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, somebody say legacy. 2018, we said it's going to be a year of legacy. Learning how we can live beyond today. Even though Abel is long dead, we talk about him in 2018. Because of his generosity. My question is, what will your legacy be? And what will my legacy be as it relates to faith and generosity? It says, although Abel is long dead, he speaks, still speaks to us by his example of faith. And his example of faith was an example of generosity. I'm going somewhere with this. Let me read it from one last translation, the message paraphrase. It says, by an act of faith, Abel brought what? A better sacrifice. How many realize that not all offerings are created equal? And let me say this. It is not about the amount. Come on. It reveals what's in my heart. What I bring to God reveals what's in my heart. It's never about the size or the amount of the gift. In fact, we can go back to the Gospels where Jesus teaches the, or where the Scriptures record the, the principle of the widow's might. The Scripture says Jesus stood in the temple. I'm saying this verbatim. Watching how men gave. Notice what the Scripture does not say. Jesus was not watching how much men gave. And the scripture says that the Pharisees came with bags of gold and began to proclaim in front of everybody how much they gave. But that wasn't what Jesus was watching. Jesus was watching how men gave. And here comes this elderly lady, a widow, with nothing but two pennies. And with great humility and reverence, she gave 
everything she had, even though it wasn't much. And Jesus, watching how men gave, said that this widow has given more than all these men. You know why? Because generosity is never measured by what you give. It's measured by what you keep for yourself. Y'all ain't going to like that one. Generosity is not measured by what you give. It's measured by what you keep for yourself. If I give a bag of gold, one bag of gold, and I got a truckload of gold, how generous have I truly been? But if I take two pennies, and that's all I got, and I'm a widow, and I have to depend on the generosity of others for my sustenance, and I take all that I have and give it, who has truly been more generous? God showed approval. I'm telling you, not every gift is equal. And God looked at what Abel brought, and he accepted it. The King James says that God respected. He respected Abel's offering. That word in the Hebrew means that God looked upon it and had great regard for what Abel brought. In Malachi chapter 3, when God begins to speak to the Israelites about the sacrifices they were bringing to the temple, this is what he said. He said, try giving what you've given to me to one of your governors. Hmm? If, 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 if a dignitary or a celebrity came to your house and you got a, a gift or you try to make them dinner, he says, he says, you wouldn't even give that to one of them. Yet that's what you bring me. And the scripture says that God looked at Abel's offering and he respected it. And he looked at it with great regard. And Abel's act of faith, as it relates to his generosity, still speaks to us today. I'm just going to read this one last time. By an act of faith, Abel brought a better sacrifice to God than his brother Cain. It was what he brought. Let's go back to the message. I lost it. Okay, there it is. It was what he believed. Y'all see this now? It was what he believed, not what he brought. I lost it again. It was what he believed, not what he brought that made the difference. Remember, what I believe always precedes what I bring. So in what he brought, God saw what he believed. After all these centuries, that belief continues to catch our notice. So let's go to Genesis chapter 4, and this is where I'm going to wrap up. If you believe that, say amen. <laughs> By faith. Galatians chapter 4. Hey, if you're a guest with us, if you're a guest with us, please feel no pressure at all. This is not to, to entice you or seduce you to give. 
I don't even I don't speak out of need. We don't speak out of need. In fact, in Philippians 4, this is what Paul said. He said, I don't say these things to you because I need something from you. But I'm saying these things to you for what I want to abound to your heavenly account. I don't want nothing from you. I want something that will abound unto your heavenly account. And this is, this is, what, this is what he says. And my God is able to supply your every need according to his riches and glory. By Christ Jesus. So, so, so we're in Genesis chapter 4, and I'm going to go fast. I'm going to go fast. I'm going to go real quick. I'm going to go real quick. In Genesis chapter 4, it says, Now Adam knew Eve and conceived and bore Cain. Cain, uh, the name Cain means to acquire. And Eve said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And in verse 2, it says, Then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. The word Abel means Breath or nothing. In naming Abel, it was almost prophetic. She called him breath or called him nothing. It almost speaks to the fact that he would have a very short lifespan. I don't know how she knew it, but in naming her son, it was almost prophetic. He's just going to be a breath with us for a short time. That's here one moment and gone the next. Yet in that breath of life, we still talking about that son centuries later because of an act of faith. Our lives are not measured by their duration, but by their donation. What are, what are you contributing? I ain't even talking about money. What are you contributing to the advancement of the kingdom of God? Because when it's all said and done, it ain't going to be about how, la- how long you lived. It's going to be about how well you lived. And though, even though Abel was only a breath, here one moment and gone the next, we still talk about him today. Mm. So, 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 check this out. Uh, verse number three, uh, verse two. It says, Abel was a keeper of sheep, But Cain was a tiller of the ground. It speaks of their professional life. One was a shepherd and one tilled the ground. Somebody say work. The scripture says in Proverbs 14.23 that all hard work leads to profit. Most of us try to eliminate the idea of working And we just say, God bless me. But notice, out of the generosity, out of their work and their productivity and their creativity came something that they could bring to God. Now, they had two very different professions. In fact, there are some Bible commentators that say the conflict between these two brothers was a result of irrigation rights. That long before the sacrifice, there was already this tension between Cain and Abel because of the limited resource of water. So, so, so uh, Abel would bring his sheep to water them, and then Cain would be mad because he had to use the same source of water to irrigate his crops. And they also argue, some commentators suggest, this is conjecture because the scripture doesn't say it explicitly, that part of the conflict between the two brothers, even before the sacrifice, could have been the result of, 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 of Abel's uh, sheep coming into 
his gardens to feed. That's what some commentators say. So if that is true, there's already this, this tension that exists between these two brothers. Now the scripture continues, and this is what the scripture says explicitly in verse 3. And in the process of time, I love that. Because the scripture says that time and opportunity happen to us all. That they both worked, and over time, there was productivity. And out of that productivity, they brought something back to God. And in bringing something back to God, what they were acknowledging was that everything I have, everything that I've earned, comes from your hand. Listen to what the scripture says in Psalm 24 and verse 1. It says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the earth and everything in it. You know what that means? All of it belongs to him. Everything. All of it, in fact, let me read it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. All of it, all of it belongs to him. There is one owner and many stewards. So if you ever got it in your mind that this is my money, this is my house, this is my car, this is my business, you got it twisted. Because even the creativity, even the intellect, even the reasoning, even the resources that you extract out of the ground to manufacture belong to him. He owns it all. Even the health that you have to go to work every single day, the soundness of mind, all of it comes from him. None of it is yours because it could be gone that quickly. I still remember when I was stationed at Fort Campbell in Tennessee. I was the, uh, the singles minister. And this guy starts coming to the church, single guy, very successful. He was a chiropractor. And in one of the services, the pastor was talking about, about giving or generosity or whatever. He made a beeline to me. He said, man, I work hard. I make my money. And I'm very uncomfortable with this pastor telling me what to do with my money. And I showed him the same verse. Didn't want to hear it. I didn't see that guy for about three weeks. This time he showed up at church. He was covered in this rash and all these, like, it, it was almost like, um, like hives, but it was worse than that. It wasn't chicken pox, but it was bad, whatever it was. And he came to me. And he said, Ray, for the last three weeks, I haven't been able to make any money. Meaning, I haven't been able to go into work. Meaning, I've got this rash on my body that won't go away. Nobody can make it go away, and I can't make any money. He said, what's that verse you told me about, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof? He said it's Psalm 24 and verse 1. That as smart as you are and as educated as you are, 
without the hand of God on your life to even sustain your health, you ain't going to be able to make one penny. Now, did God do that to him? No, God didn't do that to him. But in that sickness, the light bulb came on. And he realized, apart from the grace of God, and how, how, how soon we forget. How soon we forget. I'm, think, I'm standing here thinking, and I'm flashbacking to the year when I had big questions for God. Because there were three people who were very influential in my life. And all three of them, kingdom people, died the same year. The first one was my mentor in Sierra Leone. He was a missionary to Sierra Leone and had a missions organization that reached the whole world. He's standing, he's standing in CVS to pick up something for his wife. Falls over dead from a massive heart attack. A few months later, I get this uh, Christmas card. And in the Christmas card, I hadn't talked to these people for years, but they were missionaries to Liberia. Grace is here. Uh, Both of us went to a Southern Baptist boarding school. And I had uh, two missionaries there, Angus and Missy McKinley. Uh, Angus was our basketball coach. Missy was the, the, the music teacher. And in the card, you know how sometimes people kind of give you an update on the family? And in the card, there was this whole thing that she says, you guys no doubt by now have heard about what happened uh, to Missy. Had no idea. He took his two boys one Friday night camping. And the next morning, about 7.30 a.m., he gets this frantic call from their daughter. Daddy, you got to come home. Mommy won't wake up. Four kids, two boys, two girls, a family that had devoted their lives to God's service. And in one moment, his wife is dead of a brain aneurysm. Third story, my pastor in Clarksville, Tennessee, who was a mentor to me while I was in the Army. I remember being on the phone with him, and he says, Ray, I've got to go. I'm walking into the doctor's office. I'll call you back. Two weeks later, he calls me to tell me, Ray, the doctors say I'm dying. And in three weeks, he was dead from an aggressive form of lung cancer. I had big questions for God because these people had devoted their lives to God's service. Why am I even telling you those stories? You and I have absolutely nothing apart from what God allows us to have from one day to the next. You, as cute as you are, and as smart as you are, and as healthy as the doctors may say you are right now, could be gone just as quickly. Why are we sitting high and mighty? Yeah, this is my crib on the cul-de-sac, and this is my fancy car, and this is what. The scripture says that there was a man who had a good year, Luke chapter 12. And this is what the man who had a good year said. I'm going to go tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And I'm going to tear this big fat house I live in, and I'm going to build even a bigger house. And then he said, we're going to eat, we're going to drink, and we're going to be merry. We're just going to live it up. Because life is good. And Jesus said, this fool had no idea. Jesus' words, not mine. This fool had no idea that that night his life would be required of him.
And Jesus goes on to say, so shall the man be who is not rich towards God. So shall it be for the man who has this world's goods, that's the first part, and is not rich toward God. God ain't got no problem with your stuff. In fact, God's desire is that you and I would be blessed. Psalm 1, Deuteronomy 28, I could give you promise after promise after promise where God's desire is that we will have everything we need. In fact, God is a generous God. Psalm 84, verse 11 says, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk up righteously. But here's the problem. He says, while you tearing down your barns and building bigger barns, what's your disposition toward me? I'm amazed. I'm amazed at the things that we have no problem stroking checks for. It stroke this big fat check. And then when it comes to the kingdom, something that will outlive and outlast us, we begin to wrestle with God. Get thee behind me, Satan. Here's this $20, Jesus. And the problem is not having stuff. Will you be rich toward me? When we can give the best of what we have to everything but the kingdom. And it is the only thing that is actually eternal, that will outlive and outlast us. I don't care how big the house is. At some point, you're going to sell it and buy another one. I don't care how expensive your jeans are. They're going to be out of, out of style two years from now or next season. I don't care whether you get the best video game. Next year is going to be obsolete. And the one thing that will outlive and outlast us is the thing that we resist and resent. Now, notice the scripture says they had time and they had fruit. And this is what the scripture says. It says Cain brought an offering. He just brought something to God. But notice what it says about Abel. It says that he brought the first fruits of his flock and their fat. Both of them brought something to Jesus. Cain said, I'm going to bring him something. I'm going to flip him a nickel. I'm going to flip him a dime. I'm going to give him my leftovers. Abel says, out of everything you've blessed me with, I am going to give you what is first and what is best. Huge difference. Huge difference. Be dressing, yeah, God, I'm going to give you something. Yeah, $5. Yeah, $2. And the man who says, God, I acknowledge that I wouldn't be nothing without you. And because I know that none of this would be possible without you, not only am I going to give you the best of what I have, I'm going to give it to you first. And the scripture says God respected what Abel brought, but he did not respect what Cain brought. Because in what Cain brought, he said, God ain't no priority. I'll give him this. I'll get to him when I get to him. But Abel had such reverence for God that he brought the first and the best. 
Back in the day when I used to stroke checks, first check I write, not the mortgage, not the utility bill. In fact, not the first thing that comes out my check, electronically, is the tithe. I acknowledge, I ain't talking about, well, <clears throat> can I move this around, move this around, see if I can pay this, see if, no, 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 no. Let me tell you why I learned this. Did I tell y'all I'm from Africa? <laughs> it was easy. Let me tell you why it was easy for me to understand the tithe. Because when an African family sits around the dinner table, dad gets the best cuts of meat. And see, there it is. <laughs> and he gets everything first. If you're the youngest, you're probably going to be left with a, <laughs> a little chicken wing. But we understand the thing, this thing called honor. That the person I honor not only goes first, but they always get the best. Let me tell you something. People struggle with tithing. They say, oh, well, tithing is a law. Let me tell you something. This principle exists long before the law of putting God first. We see the example of it in this sacrifice. We see it also at creation when God said, y'all can have everything in this garden. Don't touch that tree. You know what God was saying? God was saying, that is mine. Don't touch it. The first and the best belongs to me. Not you. Don't touch it. You can have everything else. You can have 90%. Don't touch what is first and what is best. It's not because of the law. God has always, always said, I deserve the place of honor in your life. And there's nowhere in our lives that we show where God has honor than with money. That's the true test. That is the true test of who is first. So all of it belongs to God. That's the first part. And then he says, look, here's the deal. You manage it for me. And out of everything I give you, out of everything I bless you with, just acknowledge me. By returning the first and best. That's what it's all about. Why do you think whenever the Israelites would go into it? In fact, tithing is not just about money. It's about showing God his place. In creation, he said, don't touch the tree. He shows us again in Genesis 4 when he respected the first and best that Abel brought and the leftovers that Cain brought he had no respect for. He showed it when he brought the Israelites into the promised land and told them, destroy the entire city of Jericho. It belongs to me. And then you can have everything in every other city. Over and over in scripture, we see where God says, the first and the best belongs to me. Because tithing and generosity is not a matter of the law. It is a matter of love. Abraham said he would give a tenth of everything that God had blessed him with before the law. What prompted Abraham to say, this is what I'm going to give back to God out of everything? Not because there were 10 commandments or all these laws that were instituted. It was because Abraham says, God, I love you enough. And you have blessed me enough that the first and best belongs to you. 
The second thing is that it's not a matter of obligation. It's a matter of obedience. When God says, put me first. My part is to simply do what he said and trust that God will take care of the rest. It takes great faith to do that, though. Because most times we see, if I give what's in my hand, that's a deficit. But God actually says, if you give what's in your hand, I will multiply it. That's the struggle we have. It doesn't make sense. And this is where I close, I promise you. Mark chapter 4. I didn't even get through my notes. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. This is where we struggle because we think that if I give, I will have less. When God says, whatever leaves your hand will never leave your life. It'll never leave your life. It'll come back to you, Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will men give into your bosom. Uh, I wish I had liberty to tell you some things that God is moving and shifting for our church right now. I wish I had the freedom to tell you. I wish I had permission to tell you. <clears throat> but I don't. But it's this whole principle of generosity. For seven years, our church has always led with a generous disposition. We do stuff here at City Church not because we got a whole bunch of money floating around. But the Lord has always taught us to live with an open hand and not a clenched fist. And this is what most of us do. We go through life with a clenched fist. Is it, we hold on to what we got. And God says, look, man, I want to get you more. But we hold on to what we got. And God says, I want to get you more. No, but I, I'm going to hold on to what I got. And if we'll simply begin to live with an open hand, because whatever God can get through you, he's going to get to you. If he can get it through you, he will get it to you. And that's why he says he gives seed to the sower. Who does he give seed to? Not to the person who takes it and sits on it. He gives it to the sower. Because the sower sows the seed and reaps a harvest of multiplication. He doesn't give it to somebody who will hold on to it and eat the seed. He ain't going to give it to you. He will not give it to you. And I've yet to see a farmer who just hoarded seed and expected a harvest. Who took all the seed and put it in the barn and never planted it and expected a harvest. And there's a whole lot of us who have a bunch of seed that sits in our pockets and say, God, give me a harvest. The harvest doesn't come until I sow the seed I have. So Mark chapter 4, this is why I'm going to close. This is why I'm going to close. Because this is where we struggle. This is where we struggle. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. It says, and again, he began to teach by the sea. And a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. And he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching. Verse 3, listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. Oh, man, wrong. Is this the wrong passage? Man, I was going to preach that thing too. 
That's the wrong one. No, Mark chapter 4, verse 26. Verse 26, sorry. Mark chapter 4, verse 26. Mark chapter 4, verse 26. Sorry about that, Angie. And I promise you I'm going to close. I'm going to let y'all go. Uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 26. It says the kingdom of God. Listen to this now. He's teaching us about kingdom function. Are you a part of the kingdom? He's teaching us how the kingdom works. This is how the kingdom works. In fact, in Matthew chapter 4, this is what he said to the disciples. He said, if you don't understand this principle, this parable, how can you understand any of the other parables? He said, if you don't get this simple principle of sowing and reaping, of seed, time, and harvest, you ain't never going to grasp how the kingdom works. He says, this is elementary. And until you understand the law of sowing and reaping, the law of giving and receiving, the law of reciprocity. In fact, we're going to tell one of these other stories uh, next week. Unsolicited. I don't go around telling, asking people what God doing in life. But Ronnie's story, Ronnie came to me and said, this is what God's doing in my life. In fact, she ended by saying, you and Pastor Wendy prayed for my daughter. She was having epileptic seizures. And I just went back to the neurologist, and there's no signs of anything. That's what the life of faith produces. That even when it doesn't make sense, when the doctor gives you a diagnosis, and you pray to a God you cannot see, and expect that he will reverse, Violent, violent uh, uh, vomiting, all these different symptoms, right? Could barely function. How old is Cameron? She, now she's 11. Free. Because of a simple prayer of faith. I, I see Tony Steiner here, same thing. Miracle in his physical body. Inoperable thing happening in his brain. And we prayed for him. And God came through. If God can do that and reverse the effects of what happen, what's happening in people's bodies physically and give them physical, medical miracles, how much more will God do it when we trust him with what's in our hand? I promise you, I promise you I'm about to wrap it up. But in Luke chapter 9, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus said, if you and I aren't faithful, this is what he called it, unrighteous mammon, money, how will he trust us with true riches? You know what Jesus was saying? These are the words in red. If I can't trust you with money, how can I really trust you to change lives? So this is where Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, did I say 26? And he said, this is Jesus, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He just scatters the seed and should sleep by night and rise by day. And the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. Come on, somebody. Jesus is saying this is how the kingdom works. When I take what's in my hand, I don't know how this is all going to happen. I don't know who God's going to use. I don't know where the miracle's going to come from. But when I, in obedience, give what's in my hand, I don't have to know how it's going to happen. 
but I know a God who is the God of the kingdom system. And whatsoever a man soweth, that shall you also reap. It says he himself does not know how. I don't know how to know, I don't have to know how it works. But in verse 28, it says, for the earth yields crops by itself. By itself. That whenever I sow in faith, the kingdom takes over. God begins to work on my behalf. I don't have to know how. I'm telling you, I wish I could tell you what God is doing right now for our church beyond what we're able to do for ourselves. I wish I could tell you. I wish I could tell you. But that's how it works. When I, in faith, obey God, God takes over. It says, for the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that, the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Somewhere between the harvest and the sowing is that process that happens that you and I have absolutely no control over. But little becomes much in the hands of God. And that what leaves my hand, I'm telling you, City Church, will never leave your life. We heard a little bit of Ronnie's story. There's another story someone came to me and told it, and I think we're going to tell the story. I'm like, only God could do that. And they wrestled with it. How can I give? Doesn't make sense to me. But when they simply took that step of faith and realized that everything I have belongs to him, their lives changed financially in their careers, there's promotions, there's raises, that even don't make sense to their co-workers. Why am I saying this? I'm only saying it not because of what God can give you back, but the reason I'm saying it is just like Abel, how we see our resources reveals what's most important. And my prayer for our church, my prayer for our church is that in your own life, you will continually, continually reveal God's place in your life by taking that simple step of faith and say, God, I trust you. I don't know how this is going to happen, but you are true and you haven't failed me yet. Let me pray for you. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name.